Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Law. Check out my website at www.lockdownlaws.com. This is part two of COVID in the workplace. In this episode, we will discuss workplace injuries. I want to caution everyone that I will be talking about serious injuries and viewer discretion is advised as this material may not be suitable for all listeners. We don't know the long-term impacts of COVID-19. As of now, it appears that most people have a great chance of full recovery. However, there are many Americans dying or getting seriously ill. So, what are your options if you get infected with COVID-19 at work? It could lead to a variety of issues and medical expenses. What if you have a family member who dies from COVID and you believe they were exposed at work? What are your options? We will discuss. But first, the disclaimer will be emphasized again. The information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this podcast are for general informational purposes only. Information in this podcast may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners of this podcast should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No reader or listener to this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Use of and access to this podcast or any of the resources contained within the podcast do not create an attorney-client relationship. The views expressed at or through this podcast are those of the individual author writing in their individual capacities only, not those of their respective employers. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed. The content on this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. Workplace injury law is often called workers' compensation law. Workers' compensation laws vary greatly from state to state. I went to law school in the Midwest, and uh, I remember my work comp professor saying, a finger amputation is worth more depending on where you lose it. I hope that emphasizes the point. Again, the laws vary greatly from state to state. Some states provide very little protection to injured workers. It would be a very short episode to discuss those states. California, in comparison, does have a variety of workers' compensation laws to protect injured workers. So I will discuss work injury laws in California in this episode.
the goal of the workers' compensation system is to help injured workers heal quickly and get back to work. The work comp system historically was set up as a compromise, a compromise between injured workers and employers. The idea behind the creation of the work comp system is that you're not going to get these huge settlements that you see in some civil cases with jury trials. But in return, injured workers are supposed to receive quick medical treatment and temporary benefits to compensate them and get them back to work as quickly as possible. It is also a no-fault system. An assumption of the risk is no defense. This makes sense when you think about it. For example, we're not going to tell police officers, firefighters, nurses, and other hardworking Americans that if they get injured at work, too bad, so sad, you assume the risk. No. We should and must treat injured workers better than that. Okay, I'm going to give you a very rough overview of the workers' compensation system in California. There are two types of injuries, specific injuries and cumulative trauma injuries. An example of a cumulative trauma injury would be like a typist who develops carpal tunnel syndrome after 30 years at work. He or she would file this type of case because it happened over time and not on a specific day. If your employer cannot accommodate your doctor's restrictions, you could be eligible for temporary disability benefits. These benefits are paid at two-thirds of your average weekly wage tax-free. If the injury is permanent, you could get a permanent disability rating. If you get a rating higher than 70%, you could get a life pension. You could also be eligible for lifetime medical care and a retraining voucher from the state of California. Other options for those seriously injured are state disability through EDD, federal disability through social security disability, CalPERS disability retirement for those who qualify, and sometimes there are private disability policies your employer might offer. Okay, so if you believe you got infected with COVID-19 at work in California, can you qualify for California work comp benefits? To help answer these questions, we are fortunate to have attorney Adam, a prominent work comp attorney in California, on this podcast. Hi, Adam. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Adam, how long have you been practicing work comp in California? Uh, over 20 years. 20 years? Wow. Two decades. That's impressive. And um, are you a certified specialist? I am a certified specialist by the State Bar of California, correct. That's great. Do you enjoy your job? Very much so. Uh, I always enjoy the aspect of the law where there's a story in every case. And when you deal with real people with real concerns, there's always a story. And sometimes they're stories of success, overcoming injury and uh, finding a better future. And 
of course, sometimes the stories don't end as well, but uh, you work hard to try to help people be in a better, I'm sorry, a better place when they get to the other side of the, um, of the injury, of the concerns that they're faced. Uh, from a, being a lawyer perspective, it's very people-oriented. You are dealing with people. I always like to say I represent people, not paper. Love the interaction between the courts, the attorneys, the people we represent. Uh, it's a really interesting, dynamic, ever-changing area of the law. And uh, for as long as they're employ our employees, there will be workers' compensation. So I feel like we'll have something to offer for hopefully quite some time into the future. Yeah, and it's a unique practice. I mean, one day you could be representing a professor, a police officer, a firefighter, and another day you could be representing a farm worker. Um, so that must be a, a pretty unique aspect of the job. It is. You get to interact with people from all walks of life. And, uh, but I think the thing that struck me most over the 20 years of doing this and, and you know, interacting and representing thousands of people over that period of time, a lot of the injuries that I see arise in the workplace are just unfortunately, you know, people in the wrong place at the wrong time, things beyond their control. And they can be so life-changing in just, you know, in a quick, quick second. Um, and it really makes you appreciate what you have uh, and what you're able to do and that you don't have to confront those same concerns uh, being injured if you're you know, fortunate enough to be healthy and not have those concerns. So, again, it really makes you appreciate good health. Uh, and certainly in this time of COVID, good health is on everybody's forefront of their minds. Well said. Adam, if you get infected with COVID-19 and you think you were infected at work, what are your options? Well, you know, I'll speak more specifically to California, but I would remind, you know, your listeners that um, a quick one-on-one -on, -one on workers' compensation, uh, you know, each state essentially has its own system. And... Um, the systems evolved essentially out of the industrial revolution. And the system is intended to protect both injured workers' rights and limit exposure to employers. Um, so, uh, you know, the answer may be different depending on, you know, where you live and, and where you're infected. But um, uh, if you are infected uh, and you believe it's work-related, um, you need to file a claim, put the employer on notice, and uh, give them the opportunity to investigate it and confirm that if they are going to pay medical benefits, money benefits, that they're responsible to do so. Okay. And um, Governor Newsom issued an order earlier this year um, giving protection to, I believe it was essential workers, um, if they get infected at work. Is that accurate? I think it goes beyond essential workers. Um, and if we take a step back and understand uh, case law uh, leading up to that order, um, in very simple, plain terms, if you're an employee uh, and uh, you are exposed to a special risk, you're more likely to be at risk than the average employee then you have a greater likelihood of being able to prove an entitlement to workers' compensation benefits. 
Um, the governor understood that. And he understood that that still opened up the door for probably a lot of litigation that isn't necessary when he entered into the order and in the, the months subsequent to the order, most of the people working in the community were essential workers. Now, as things opened up, more people were turned back to work. But the frontline healthcare workers, the delivery workers, the grocery workers, the public safety workers, all of the employees um, were essential workers, but the order was not specific to essentials. Pretty much anyone that was uh, out working uh, that uh, uh, was subject to uh, a special risk and additional exposure. And at that point, with everyone else staying at home and workers just going out and working the ones that still had to, to be at their jobs, they were at risk. So I think he limited litigation and saved costs by expediting the delivery of benefits with a rebuttable presumption. I think it was a good move by the governor's part. Um, and uh, hopefully it provided some very specific guidelines for insurers to determine just how and when they need to accept and pick up a case. You mentioned the term a rebuttable presumption. What does that mean? So uh, it's assumed that if you are employed and you meet the elements of the governor's order, for example, one of the elements is uh, you have to be at your workplace. You can't make the claim if you're infected at home. You could make a claim for injury if you're affected at home, but it doesn't fall under the, uh, the presumption order. Um, but once you've made the claim and you've met the elements, uh, the burden then shifts to the insurance company or the employer to say, no, you didn't catch it at work. And that's a really tough burden to have to prove. Um, it's not a conclusive presumption. It's not, I make the claim, I get benefits. I make the claim. And if the employer insurer can't rebut it, then I get to maintain my right to benefits. But uh, rebuttable presumption is a long history in California law. and um, it's a very, very tough burden to prove, but not impossible. And so uh, if an employer can show and rebut the fact that it didn't happen at work, it absolutely happened someplace else, then they might get out of the responsibility of having to provide benefits. So basically, the governor is giving uh, people like nurses or firefighters, police officers, the benefit of the doubt. You know, you're in a high-risk occupation, and if you get infected with COVID-19, again, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt that it's work-related. Is that a fair overview? That's correct, and I don't know the exact numbers. California wasn't the only state to create a similar type of rule of law uh, in light of the pandemic. Uh, a number of states in the double digits uh, did similar uh, acts to try to protect workers that were at greater risk. Um, and in California, uh, there are a handful of other laws on the books that have presumptions for uh, healthcare workers, firefighters, police officers, lifeguards, uh, other in the public safety arena, um, because they are at higher risk and they do provide a public service. And I think it's in that public policy that the governor felt everyone would benefit uh, from these people feeling. Uh, that if they went to work and they were injured, you know, exposed, contracted the virus, that they would be taken care of and the employers would know the path and their obligations to do so. What type of medical evidence do you need to prove that you got infected with COVID-19 at work? 
Well, the first thing you have to do is prove that you're injured. Uh, you have to prove that you've contracted the disease. Um, tests are more readily available, certainly in California, than they were three months ago. Um, case in point, if you have the money, you can go get a test. Uh, you may have to wait in line, uh, but in some of the, the bigger areas I know here in Los Angeles, um, I, I know uh, friends that have been able to go to a clinic in the morning at 8, and by the time they're home at 9 o'clock, they have an answer as to whether they have the disease. So the tests are more readily available. Initially, they weren't. People were just being sent home. But initially, you got to get tested. you got to prove injury. Then you have to prove the injury arose out of and in the course of employment. Um, and uh, it doesn't have to be an exact probability. It has to be with a, a reasonable probability. And that's that, where the presumption uh, helps too, right, Adam? The presumption uh, even lowers the threshold even more. Uh, it's enough to just say, I contracted the disease. And I, this presumption specifically says you have to have been at work for within a certain number of days of being um, confirmed diagnosed. I think it's 14, if I recall correctly. And, you know, we don't know the long-term impact of COVID-19 on your health. So it's important to document um, because, again, this is, this is we're finding out uh, more information about this disease day by day. That's absolutely true. And, you know, uh, the way you ask the question assumes that, you know, the person that caught it was in good health and had no pre-existing issues. Um, that's not always the case. Uh, case in point, I represent a gentleman who had pre-existing uh, respiratory issues. Uh, he was going to his workplace three days a week. He was an essential worker, uh, and he contracted the disease. And his residual issues after being hospitalized uh, are an aggravation that well, well may be permanent to his pre-existing pulmonary problem. So uh, pre-existing problems can certainly be exacerbated and, and, and make the long-term effects worse. And we don't know. Um, I have another matter where the person I think is a young, young man. He made a pretty good recovery, although he's still having some issues. And rather than just accepting the case outright, uh, even in light of the presumption, uh, it was denied and they offered him a very small amount of money to just walk away. And his initial reaction was, no, I can't do that because I don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. So rightfully, he retained counsel and now we're litigating the case to confirm it's industrial. And for him, and probably for a lot of the people that uh, have, have called me on this topic, it's not about the recovery or the money, it's about the healthcare, the long-term effects, its impact, and how can they be protected because of fear of the unknown. I would counsel anyone, whether it be in California or someplace else, it would be a mistake to give up your right to future medical care with respect to this health concern if that's an option under your jurisdiction, because we don't know. You don't know enough to value it, and you don't know what the long-term effects are. Better to be protected. I think that's paramount under the circumstance. Interesting. What if your employer thinks you got it at the grocery store and denies your case? What are your options then? Well, in California, uh, the injured worker, again, absent the presumption, has the burden 
of proving the injury arising out of and in the course of employment. So if that same person that you just gave the example of, um, let's take an example. Let's say the person's a healthcare worker and uh, they are perpetually around people and they have been around either colleagues or patients that have been exposed. Um, I do not believe that any physician could probably definitively say one exposure or the other was the direct cause. Um, and uh, I believe the burden um, can be met by just showing that there was an exposure and it was reasonably probable based on the timing that the uh, exposure um, at work was enough to meet the threshold. Um, if the person had no such exposures at work and they had a known exposure and the timing was met, uh, whether it be at the market or from somebody at home, it's quite possible that employer may not have to provide benefits under that circumstance, again, absent the presumption. I would point out, Ian, that there can be multiple uh, causes uh, to an injury. Um, there could be multiple exposures, um, and we may never know exactly which one was the direct cause. But in this particular circumstance, if you're at greater risk and you're exposed, um, I think you're going to be able to meet the burden, at least in California. And if your employer or the insurance company denies your case, you do have a right to appeal and get uh, something called a QME or a state doctor. Is that accurate? In California, we have qualified medical examiners, or if represented, the parties can agree on a physician called an agreed medical examiner. We ask that physician to take a look at the facts and the medicine, interview the uh, injured employee, and take into consideration uh, any other environmental factors relevant to that particular claim, and then provide us with an opinion uh, that we can rely upon uh, to help us make a determination. And this is really the, um, the merger or the meeting of two important concepts, medical and facts. Uh, you have to have more than just the medicine. You've got to have the facts that help uh, the medicine explain how, why, and when the person was exposed in order to really meet the burden. Um, the medicine is probably enough uh, probably not enough, excuse me, there has to be more to the story uh, to put it all together. And we rely on the physicians to do that. And ultimately, uh, a trier of fact, a judge, um, takes the facts further into consideration along with the medical opinion and helps resolve the dispute if the doctor's conclusions aren't enough to do so. Okay. And then the next question is, uh, worst case scenario, um, God forbid, you know, what, what are your options, basically, if you have a family member who dies from COVID-19 and um, you believe that he or she got infected at work? Fortunately, in California, there is a death benefit claim that can be made by partial or totally financially dependent uh, people of the decedent. That can be family that might be minor children, a spouse. It could also be people living in the house at the time of uh, injury and death that were financially dependent on the decedent. Um, 
an, an interesting question is, well, what is a death worth? <laughs> uh, except in rare There's a number. <laughs> There's a number. There's yeah. a number in California workers' comp. Uh, you didn't ask me the ultimate question. Adam, do people get rich on workers' comp in California? They do not. That's a no. Uh, <laughs> it's an absolute positive no. Um, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about some issues related to recoveries. So maybe I'll come back to that point. But uh, except for rare circumstances, <clears throat> essentially the value of a death case in California is about $320,000 at most. And if you die without a dependent, that money goes to the state. Is that right? That's correct. There's okay. a fund uh, that collects the money in the state of California if there are no financially dependent people. Uh, to recover the death benefit. Okay. Are you ready for my next question? Oh, sure. How do you easy on me so far. <laughs> it's going to get tougher. Uh-oh. How do you respond to insurance companies who state they should not be held liable for a global pandemic? Well, from a workers' compensation attorney's perspective, it's actually a pretty easy question to answer. Because the system is set up to both protect employees and employers. Um, workers' compensation benefits are definable. They're limited. They're be, to be delivered in an accepted case in an expeditious manner. They're intended to reduce employer costs. Um, and in return, uh, the end result is some limited benefits to the injured worker, but benefits that are delivered may be quicker than, than normal litigation. So, um, I'm not so concerned about the insurance companies, to be candid with you. Uh, they signed up for the deal. They understand that they have an obligation to meet their insured's uh, uh, needs if there's a, a claim for injury, whether it be to pandemic or otherwise. Um, I still think they're way out ahead in the system. And I would tell you that there have been some agencies in California uh, since the pandemic broke that have uh, continued to issue opinions as to what they expect with respect to claims made and costs on the system. And they keep revising their numbers. And frankly, I haven't seen any data come out that convinces me that the pandemic in California is going to rock or make the California insurance market and workers' comp unstable. Uh, most of the people that have been inflicted with serious injury are out of the workplace, uh, the older population. The people that are in the workplace um, that are being inflicted. Fortunately, most of them are, you know, getting well enough to be able to return to work with limited exposure. There are death cases. There are some seriously sick people. Um, that's, it's a numbers game, unfortunately, and that's, that is going to happen. But concurrently, we have a lot of people that aren't working in the workforce because of the pandemic, and they're not exposed to injury. So I think the number of cases might ultimately prove to be a wash. And I do not believe that the sky is falling and the insurance industry is in trouble uh, with respect to workers' compensation-related pandemic cases. I, I just haven't seen it yet. And I'm really skeptical that that's what the future is going to bring. Well, and to give credit where credit is due, um, if my memory serves me correctly, State Compensation Insurance Fund, when this originally, when the order originally issued, um, basically stated that they would try to cooperate with the presumption. Is that accurate? Even before the presumption issued that they were encouraging their insureds to accept claims and provide benefits for those made for people exposed on the job. Um, 
uh, and and state compensation being the insurer of last resort and having a good chunk of the market that was a good a, a good first step and maybe it even gave the governor uh, some some confidence to sign the initial executive order that he did on this topic. But one thing I don't understand about it is I don't believe state compensation came out and said the same for state employees, <laughs> just their insureds. I'm not really sure why it was distinguished. Maybe they just didn't come out and say it, but they applied the same logic. I, I don't really know. Um, but uh, they did do that, and, and I think that, that it was good they got out ahead of it, and I think it was the right move at the time. How do you respond when insurance companies argue that there is widespread fraud in the California work comp system? Uh, well, there is widespread fraud, but it isn't the fraud that you see on the TV, the uh, injured worker taking advantage of the system, which I vehemently oppose. Uh, even one person taking advantage of the system uh, puts a bad name on the system. Uh, it uh, impacts everybody. Um, it's wrong, and those people should be prosecuted because they're breaking the law. Um, however, year in and year out, the most expensive fraud to the system uh, is not individual injured worker fraud that you see on the six o'clock news. That's just reported because it's sexy. Um, there's a national organization um, called Willig, W-I-L-G, uh, Workplace Injury Law and Advocacy Group, I think is what the acronym currently stands for. And uh, they publish sort of the, I think it's the top 10 workers' compensation frauds nationally every year. And Essentially, uh, it boils down to two main um, perpetrators, so to speak. The first is uh, provider fraud. Uh, unfortunately, some medical providers taking advantage of the system. And the other uh, more rampant fraud is employer fraud by what we call premium fraud, where employers um, don't report all of their workers or the type of work they do so that their premiums are artificially lower. And then when injuries or accidents occur, there isn't enough premium to cover it, and that's illegal. Um, so those are the greater areas of fraud. They just don't, don't, aren't sexy enough to make the 6 o'clock news. Well said. Um, one of the things that really bothers me is you see on social media these uh, private investigator firms posting, you know, Joe, who's, who's got a work comp case, working out at the gym, and uh, it could be misleading, you know. He could have an accepted case, a finger amputation that, you know, he maybe missed three days from work and he's back at work. And so context is, is lost there. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that point that not every work comp case leads to somebody being out of work. Um, most people, and the goal is to, uh, to return to work. That is the stated goal. I mean, I always, you know, I teach a, a law school class on workers' comp, and my students are surprised when I tell them, uh, well, I ask them the question, I say, what do you think is the most, you know, common question asked of me by a potential new client? Uh, and a lot of them think, how much is my case worth? I would say one out of 100 asked me that question at the initial interview. And um, uh, what's more uh, oftentimes asked of me is, how can I get better and get back to work? What can you do to help me get better and get back to work? Um, and that's your case in point. And that's what I find uh, far more frequently. Because again, no one gets rich off workers' comp. Uh, and people are usually much happier if they can get better and get back to the workforce.
Oh yeah. And most people want to work. They want to get out of the house. <laughs> yeah. Especially, <laughs> especially nowadays. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. So what would be your biggest fear for, for injured workers during this global pandemic? I don't know if I've thought about in the context of the biggest fear, but I'll give you an example of something that both concerns me, but I think is solvable. In California, if you're injured on the job, uh, about 90% of the insurance companies have an approved network of doctors you have to pick from. And it's a daunting list in most cases. Injured workers don't know the physicians. Um, Someone might be listed as a family medicine specialist, but they may have never treated somebody with an infectious disease before. And I would encourage the people that operate and run these lists to try to carve out and identify providers that both want to and are capable of treating people that are inflicted with the virus and, and communicate that and make sure the information is there. And I'll tell you a little secret. If they take care of people, at the onset of their claims in the manner I just described, they're not going to call me for help because they're going to be getting the help. Um, most of the calls I get are because people just don't know where to go and what to do. And the insurance companies have not set themselves up to be able to educate the injured workers on how to use the systems in place to help them get better. And like we just talked about, get back to work. Um, so it's hard for them to see the long-term approach. That is correct. And that's a concern of mine. And I think it's something that's, you know, really something that could aspire to and, and is solvable and uh, would, you know, ease the burden for everyone involved. Um, so there's my free advice for anyone listening on the insurance industry side today. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Um, when somebody gets injured at work, it impacts, you know, it often can impact their whole life and their, their family's life. So it's good to know your options during these crazy times. So uh, sincerely appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Continued success with the podcast. And uh, to you and all your listeners, please be uh, safe and, and well and, uh, uh, and wear that mask. Thank you, sir. Have a good evening. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I thank you so much for listening to Lockdown Law.